Hey, good morning. Welcome to the Orchard. We are glad you're here with us today, whether you're here in the building or joining us online. I want to tell you about something, uh, just a little story from my life. There's one place that I really don't enjoy going. It's called the dump. Now, some people love going to the dump. Some of you, right? You know who loves the dump? My kids. They love when it's time to go get a big load. You got to drive up there. You might see some bears. And my son, he's eight. This is the most eight-year-old boy thing ever. He likes to sit in the bed of the truck. And as we take one lap through the water waste treatment part, I don't know if you know what that means, but he likes to see if he can take it, if he can bear the smell while we're all locked in the cab. Yeah, that's, there you go. So, so the dump is somewhere where um, they love to go. I have a goal when it's dump day. When it's time to go to the dump, I, I, am, I am efficiency, not effort. I want to I get in, I want to push out, and I want to leave. That's, I, want, I want convenience and comfort and get out of there. And so there I am at the dump on this certain day, and because it's the dump, you have to go to different places. You can't just put it one, of course, so I'm on one of my nine stops. And as I'm getting done, kids in the, back, kids in the truck with me, wife, um, a lady drives up in her truck, and she cuts me off, and she's waving. And she rolls down her window, I roll down mine, and she goes, um, can I pay you for something? I was like, well, never been propositioned for anything at the dump. Like, and, and I asked the one question that you, we all need to know. What is it you're going to, what is it you want me to do? Like we're, like, we're at the dump. What could this be? And she goes, here's the deal. I just dumped these huge logs over there, 50, feet away, 50 yards away. And the guy drove up and told me that was the wrong place. And that I need to go dump them here where you are. And they're just too heavy for me. And I will pay you to do this. And um, I said, you know what, of course I'll do that. Of course. And so we, I went over there, I backed up, and I said, you're not paying me anything. Um, I'm glad to help. And I get out. I said that before I got to see the size of the logs, which some of them I couldn't get my arms around. And I go, how did you get these in the truck? She goes, oh, like three guys. It took all them to get them in there. Uh, well, it's just me right now. And I have my, my Love God, Love People shirt on. I'm sitting there, I'm picking up these logs, put them in my truck. And it went from efficiency and no effort, comfort zone and convenience to now I'm working out. I mean, I am working out. And I load them up. And we had a great conversation while I was doing this. I got to know her name and where she works. She lives locally here. And she asked what I do. And I told her, you know, here at the orchard. And, and we just had a great talk. And, um, and I drove 50, 50 yards, unloaded it. And we said goodbye, and, and, and that was it. And as I get back into the truck, I hear my wife in the middle of a conversation with my children, and she's, they're, they're asking some questions about, well, why did we have to wait in here? Why did Daddy do that? And my, my son actually heard them. There was a mention of money, like a payment. <laughs> and my wife is in the middle of the sentence, and she's saying, Daddy is serving her to show her God's love. So that maybe someday she'll know Jesus. Maybe she'll come to the orchard. In fact, let's pray for her. And I said, well, here's her name. So my kids and my wife begin praying for this woman. And, and I love the way that my wife, my wife connects real life to, to our real values. But she's right. You know, I didn't move those logs because I just needed something to do. I mean, look at me. I obviously work out all the time. And so I just, it wasn't like I just needed a workout, right? No, I, I did that because there was something in there about God's selfless love. And, and who knows, maybe one day she will be here in this room. Who knows? You see, but here's the point. I was, I was serving others and that oftentimes, most often, it costs me my convenience and my comfort. You notice that about serving people? Convenience and comfort, it kind of goes out the window. I was there at the dump on my agenda. 
let's get in there, let's get out of there. Her request wasn't convenient, and it definitely interrupted my comfort. There were some awkward moments, too, as, we try, as she approached me, and I, we got, you know, the talk of money or all that stuff. It's, it's awkward when, oftentimes, can be when serving people or stepping into their lives. And today we're in John 13. We're going through the book of John, and today we're talking about serving others and what it looks like. Because oftentimes when we serve others, it takes us out of our comfort zone, and it's not convenient. So let me paint for you the situation in John 13. Jesus and his 12 disciples are in the upper room. They have just had a long journey from Bethsaida and Bethany to down to Jerusalem. And if any of you have spent any time camping, which many of us here have, uh, camping or even just hiking in Chacos, at the end of a camping trip in Chacos, when you take them off, what are your feet like? You have the strap, stripes, you know, all that stuff. Dirty feet, it just happens. We're used to it. Back then, they didn't even have chacos. They had these sandals or they were barefoot. And their feet, they were, they were, it was normal just to have filthy feet. They're walking on dirt roads. Let's say we're going to Willits. It's all dirt roads and there's animals, pack animals and everything they leave in the path. And, and so by the time you arrive at somebody's house, at your destination, your feet are going to be pretty grimy. And your feet are calloused too. There's not a lot of pedicures and stuff like that. I mean, you're walking in sandals every day, dusty, dirty. And here's the time. By the time when you get to somebody's house or it's time to dine, someone has to wash the feet. Somebody has to wash the feet of the guests. Get down there and scrub them. And this, this isn't the feet washing that you may have ever been a part of where you take off their sock and shoe and it's clean, you know. This is a, this is a foot that is traveled its whole life in a sandal and just came on a whole day journey through who knows what else it's collected and you're cleaning between toes, you're getting the, the, the grit, all the stuff. Here's the deal. It's a dirty job. It's a humble job, which is why, as with so many other things, we've talked about how the priests of Jesus' time, they came up with so many different rules about all these different parts of life. They had rules about foot washing, feet washing, who could do it, who couldn't do it, how it was done, when it was done. There are certain times and places. And the Old Testament actually gives a lot of instruction on feet washing. Priests had to wash their feet before going into ministry, before going to the temple. And, and, and it was a Middle Eastern, it was part of their culture. Until Nike came along, this is just what they did. It's part of their culture. So when you would go into someone's house, the host would provide someone to wash the feet or at least a wash basin for you to do it. Now, during times where the, there was a, during back in these times and before there was, in their culture, there was slavery, it would be the lowest slave in the house that would do this. There was a pecking order and it was the lowest possible slave. But there was a rule that they made that if that slave was Hebrew, they couldn't do it. Even if the Hebrew was the lowest slave in the house, they would not allow a Hebrew to wash somebody's feet in that context. It had to be the lowest foreign slave and later the lowest servant who was tasked with that job. The lowest servant in the household. So you can see already, culturally, foot washing, it's a necessity, it's a religious rite, it's a tradition, it's a social norm, it's what they did, and it's a very low and very humble task. And there were a few allowances as I read through the traditions of foot washing. And one of the, the allowances was, if a pupil wants to um, respect their rabbi, then they could wash their rabbi's feet. It wasn't very common, but they could do that. But there was a rule. When they washed their rabbi's feet, they had to wear their, their garments of a pupil so that no one would mistake them for a servant or a slave. 
Remember, there's all these rules. And there's, there's actually, because, because there's, it's so close to dishonor. Honor and dishonor was such a big thing in their culture that that pupil, had, they had to make sure that people knew what they were doing, what, gar- what the garments meant. And in fact, in the Talmud, there's this story. The Talmud is kind of a, uh, an ancient Old Testament commentary. There's a story recorded in 135 BC about a rabbi named Yishmael. He returned from his work one day. He was tired, and he wanted to wash his feet. He came home, and in those times, often they would live in a family unit. That, doesn't, that means parents, in-laws. I mean, it was more like that. His mother was there, and his mother insisted that she would um, wash Rabbi Yishmael's feet, her son's feet. She wanted to wash his feet. Now, Yishmael, he refused his mother this, this offer because he thought it would break the fourth commandment of honoring your mother. So Yishmael's mom, she was having none of this. She didn't care how important her son was. She went to the the, the rabbi high council, which is why this is all recorded in this book. She goes to the high council and she, she pleads her case that she should be able to wash her son's feet. Well, they deliberate. It took some time. They had to think through it. And they finally came back with a ruling that in this instance, Yishmael's mother could wash his feet. We have it recorded here, this mother who had to get in there. And so, the, so you can see that there's all these rules and social norms, and it take, it's a big deal, a, a breach of etiquette if it's broken. And that's why what happens next here in John 13 that we're probably familiar with. But I want to I unveil a little bit of what's going on behind the scenes. Jesus does something here that, that culturally, religious, society, everything is going to be shocked by what he's about to do. John 13. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So here, now now we've caught up. We have these 13 people in this upper room. They're about to have this important meal just hours before the arrest of Jesus. They've been walking. Their feet are dirty. And and as far as we know, there's no mention of a host. There's no mention of a servant. we, We do know the host left a basin and some water, but we don't know anything more than that. What we do know is we know exactly what this meal looks like. Did you know that? Because we, we have a Da Vinci to thank for that. Here's, a, here's what this looked like. There, 13 white people with clean feet sitting around at one side of a table. <laughs> Can I tell you, it looked absolutely nothing like that. Not nothing like that at all. And in fact, here's a little more of what it would look like. A photo of the Last Supper. Because remember, they reclined on their left side. This is from above. And you can see them reclining on their left side as they were in a circle, like circled around each other. The next picture, it shows a little different. And you can see that their feet, where are their feet? The smelly feet are as far away from the meal as they can get them, Right? So this is Jesus. This is the disciples. They're up there. They're in this upper room, and there's certain places. There's a place of honor. There's other seats of honor, but they're up there. Their feet are dirty. They need to be washed, but there's no servant present. Just 13 of them. And the questions, the question that might have been on their minds as they sat there and reclined and looked around, which one of us is going to do it? Who's going to have to wash the feet? I bet it's John. Oh, it's got to be Bartholomew. 
Like, like, what are they thinking? None of these guys wanted to stoop so low to reveal that in the pecking order, they're on bottom. Like, like, in some senses, they should be willing to wash the feet of Jesus, their rabbi. But after they're done with that, they're not turning to the next one going, hey, man, you're on your own. Like, they're, they're, that is not how it w- goes. These disciples, and here's how I know this. These disciples continually, throughout the Gospels, we have on, on record them debating who's most important of the twelve. It's a common discussion they like to have, apparently, and it's usually around a certain theme. So let's go back to Luke 9 and read this. Jesus, he's doing amazing things, and then he turns and says something very interesting. While everyone was marveling at everything Jesus was doing, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, listen to me, and remember what I say. The Son of Man, that's, me, that's Jesus, is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. But the disciples didn't know what that meant. Its significance was hidden from them, and they couldn't understand it, and they were afraid to ask Jesus about it. Then his disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest. Like he goes, I'm going to be betrayed someday. They don't understand it, so their reaction is, you know, I think that I'm probably better than you guys. Like, everyone everyone else is marveling at what Jesus is doing. He says he's going to be betrayed, and Peter's like, hey, guys, I walked on water. Bartholomew's, Bartholomew's like, for like a second, and then you sunk and started yelling, help! Oh, come on, Peter. Come on. And Judas is like, well, Jesus put me in charge of the money. You know, and so, so Jesus comes, and his response to this debate is, you got to be like a little child. you got to be like a little a child to come to me. If you want to be first, got to be last. you got to be a servant. Now, Jesus is predict, predict, he's predicting betrayal and pain. And when he talks about betrayal, they use that as a discussion point to begin talking about who's the greatest. Now in Matthew 20, we have two brothers, James and John, and they get their mom to approach Jesus for them and ask him something. And they, 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 she goes to Jesus and she goes, could my little, like my little boys, my pookiekins, when you are on the throne, when you sit on your throne, could little James and, could, could, could James and John, could, could they sit at your left and right in the seats of honor? Could you imagine? And it says this. It says, when the other 10 disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. They're, they're mad. And Jesus called them all together. That's, guys, come in here. Come in here. Listen, he says, listen, you know that rulers in this world love to lord it over people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, an orchard among us, it must be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be, become your slave. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. Become like a slave? Become like a servant? Are you kidding me? But there's more. In fact, in Luke 22, during the upper room, Last Supper, they argue about it again. Like on the night John 13 is writing about, he says this, Jesus says, but here at this table, as they recline, sitting among us as a friend is the man who will betray me. The disciples began to ask each other, which of them would ever do such a thing? Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Like, <laughs> this just keeps happening. They're at the final, they're at the last supper, the last hours of Jesus. Can you imagine them sitting there reclining and they're like, well, I'm this and I'm this. And he's like, oh, are you kidding me? Really? <laughs> Jesus responds, listen, those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. 
I am among you is one who serves. I bet they jockeyed for position to see who could sit where. Now they're arguing about who's the greatest and who's not going to betray. And Jesus says, listen, I'm here as somebody who serves. We, we see that within Jesus's inner, his disciples, his, his, his guys, there was constant and an ongoing jostling for position. They wanted to be first. They debated it. They argued it. They tried to prove it. They probably tried to do things. They got their moms to go talk to Jesus. I mean, and at each turn, Jesus says kind of the same thing. Listen, if you want to be in my kingdom, it's the one who serves who's the greatest. You want to be great in my kingdom? Start serving others. Which leads us, all that context leads us back to this upper room with well-traveled sandals, with disciples around a table, jockeying for a position, and 13 men reclining around a table with dirty feet. That's where we find ourselves today. 12 of them are playing a game of chicken to see who's going to get up and do it. Which one is going to debase themselves and wash their feet? Or is Jesus going to tell one of us to do it? Oh, do not let it be me. I gave you all that context of the, the lowest foreign servant doing the foot washing because it sets up a little bit of the shock that we miss on what happens next. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew that he had come from God, and he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, this is not so shocking to us. But this would have been a level of awkwardness and uncomfortableness that, that we can barely, could barely handle. They could barely handle it. I mean, putting, putting yourself in that room. Put yourself in that room at that table reclining. You're a disciple. You're looking around to see which other disciples are going to, who's going to wash the feet. And then you see Jesus, your rabbi. You followed him for three years. He's your teacher. He's the Messiah. You've come to believe in him as Messiah. You've seen him show his power over nature, over spirits, over disease, and over death. You've come to believe that he is the son of God, the chosen one. This Jesus, the one person who we should all in the room be clamoring to wash his feet, he, he gets up in this meal and takes off his clothes. He wraps a, a, a towel around his waist. He walks over and he fills the basin. And at this point, you could hear a pin drop, I bet. As all eyes are just watching him. Is he going to hand it to somebody? Is he going to wash his own feet? Like, what's he going to do? What is he going to do? Have you ever been part of a foot washing ceremony? Have you? A yeah, yeah. A real one. I, I see foot washing ceremonies that uh, I saw one at a wedding recently, and it was a beautiful, beautiful symbol of a husband and wife saying, we're building our marriage on serving one another. And that was awesome. But have you ever been at a conference or a retreat where they spring a foot washing on you? That's quite a ride. I was at this, this conference, and I was sitting there, and the man up front grabbed a towel and a basin, and he began talking about foot washing. And he began talking about it enough that we, in the crowd, began to realize, I think he's going to wash somebody's feet. <laughs> I was already terrified. Like, no, no. 
This is a good time to go get some coffee. I told 8.30 I was going to have uh, some water and towel up here, and I forgot to get it, so I was going to make you guys think I'm going to get one of you. Anyway, so I'm sitting there. He grabs a towel. He's talking about foot washing. He's walking around, and then he begins to walk through the crowd, and I'm thinking what I'm assuming everybody else is thinking. I always assume that. I'm thinking, oh, no, 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 no. Please, no, please, no. Jesus, I, I will do whatever. I'll go into ministry. Just no, not me. No. But at this retreat, it was me. It was me. I got to go up there and sit down in front of everybody. You can imagine what this would be like this morning. I'm sitting there, and he takes off my shoes and my socks, and he begins to wash my feet. And I'm like, and, and it's just silent, and it's awkward. And like, do I look at you? I can't like just like pretend it's not happening because I mean, it was just oh, it was so uncomfortable for me. It was so uncomfortable. I felt so awkward and so helpless. Um, and then and then he goes, and now you. Go and wash the feet of somebody else. I was like, okay. <laughs> I will never be back to this. <laughs> no. It was such an uncomfortable moment. Now, now, I've had more than one, and there's some that have been deeply and meaningful. That was just one that, I, that happened in a certain situation that just got me. And, and it, but I want to just say that what I felt, what anybody felt at that moment was nothing compared to the awkward, uncomfortable feeling of when the Messiah began to wash that first disciple's feet. It would have been no. It's, this is breaking every rule. This is not done. That's servant work. That's slave work. That's humble work. It is dishonoring. He's dishonoring himself. I mean, it must have been uncomfortable beyond words. This would be like the Queen of England she decides to come to your house for whatever reason. And so you throw her a party and she shows up and you apologize because your spare bathroom upstairs, the toilet doesn't work. So she goes up there and rolls up her sleeves and gets down and begins to work on it. I mean, the absurdity of that, right? The ridiculousness of that, the oddity of that is just a taste of the son of God washing the feet, the feet of these disciples like a, like a servant would. They're struck speechless, except for one person, Peter, of course, par, that's par for course, right? He watches Jesus. Like, he, let's say he's four down. He's like, oh, three, two, oh, one. And it says, Jesus came to Simon Peter. It's his turn. And he says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Like, are you really going to do this? And he calls him Lord. Like, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? He's maybe trying to help Jesus. You know, this is not really what you should do. Um, and Jesus says, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. I, I feel that way about a lot of things with God sometimes. But right here he tells Peter, he's like, he's like, listen, I'm teaching you something. I'm modeling something for you. And it might be uncomfortable now, but it's going to mean something to the future. And in the orchard, it's going to mean something to them. I'm modeling something that in the future will make sense. Peter says, no, you shall never wash my feet. And I think he would have just stopped. I mean, I, I, he was done. And Jesus says, listen, unless I wash you, you have no part, no part with me. To which Peter said, then Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head also. Like, if that's the truth, let's just go. Let's get the whole thing. So but we have to stop here and say, you know, Jesus said, I'm showing you something that will mean and that will make sense in the future. What's Jesus teaching them? What's he revealing to them? Why is he doing this? 
Now, you may remember a few weeks ago, you remember all my sermons. It's what I love most about you guys. You never forget anything I say. Uh, a few weeks ago, I talked about at the end of John 12, where it says that many of the religious leaders came to believe in Jesus, but they never came public with it because they loved the praise of man, of humans, more than the praise of God. Like they had, they thought he was the Messiah. They thought he was the, the Savior, but they were, they were too insecure. They were too insecure to step out and proclaim it. Their insecurity, their need for social norms and reputation made it impossible for them to serve Jesus the way he would want them to. What John is showing us here in this upper room, this is a picture that is the exact opposite of what those people are doing. They were too insecure to come forward and serve and love Jesus. But, but I, and I want to show you why. We actually know part of what motivated Jesus to do this. John put it in here. We've already read it, but if you're like me, we've read over it. So what, why did Jesus do this? Let's go back. The evening meal was in progress. They're already eating. Jesus knew that the Father had given him all authority over everything, and he had come from God, and he would return to God. So, because of that, he got up, took off his clothes, put on a towel. Did you catch it? Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. He had come from God, and he was going to return to God. Jesus knows what God has given him. He knows his purpose. Jesus knows whose he is on God's. Jesus knows where he's going. This life is temporary. Any awkward uncomfortableness here is temporary. I know where I'm going. I know whose I am. I know who I am. Jesus is secure in the purpose God has given him. He's secure in the person he is. Jesus is secure in his identity. Jesus was so secure, secure enough in God that he got up from the table and did the servant's work that no one else would do. You, you, would expect that, you would expect it to read, if this was written in American culture, Jesus knew the Father had given him authority over all things. He had come from God. He would return to God. And therefore, Jesus, because of his authority and knowledge, he turned to Peter and said, Peter, wash my feet. Because we delegate. We see authority and power and purpose, and, and we should be served. We think because of position and purpose and authority, Others would probably serve me. That's how our world works. But Jesus was so secure in his position, in his purpose, in his calling, in his identity, it's because of his security in God, he would pick up the towel and serve. Jesus served from security. Jesus served from identity. Jesus humbled himself because he knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly whose he was, and he knew his purpose on earth. And because of that, he could pick up the towel when no one else was. As opposed to the disciples who are so insecure in their position, they're trying to sit in certain places, they're already debating about who's the greatest, they're wondering who's going to... They're so insecure, they will never pick up that towel. You see, it was security identity that allowed Jesus to do what none of them would do. Jesus could serve anyone, and I mean anyone. I've already referenced three times a theme that these arguments about who's the greatest seems to circle around. Jesus mentioning that somebody is going to betray him. 
Jesus mentions that the person, that very person is there in the room with them right now during this meal. He reclines here in the upper room and, and somebody already has 30 pieces of silver. Somebody's already betrayed Jesus and will betray him with a kiss is Judas. He intends to turn Jesus over to the people who want to kill him. And yet he reclines here at this meal. And guess who Judas is sitting next to? Jesus. We know this from the text. Jesus would have had the seat of honor and the people to his right and left, like James's mom had asked previously, those would be the seats of honor. We know John was to Jesus' right in front of him and Judas was to his left. Judas sits at a seat of honor. Jesus says that it's, with, it's the person who I'm dipping in my dipping bowl with, which means it's right next to him. Jesus washes Judas' feet. A foot washing, um, you know, in those days with all the dirt and the grime, I'm guessing four to six minutes, right? We can all agree? Yeah, that sounds good. So Jesus washing the feet of the person he knows he betrayed him. You know, that, that's, a, that's a few minutes. I wonder if in those five minutes, I wonder how much eye contact they made. The eyes of love looking up into the eyes of betrayal. I wonder what Jesus was feeling and thinking because he knew. I wonder what Judas was feeling and thinking as he watched Jesus, who he was going to betray in hours, wash his feet. What strikes me is that Jesus also washes the feet of Peter, who that very night would deny him three times, say, I don't even know Jesus. Jesus washes 10 other people's feet who flee and abandon him when things go wrong. And he washes the feet of one person who betrays him. Jesus serves from security and it allows him to serve those who will abandon, deny, and betray him. Orchard, what excuses do we have to not serve someone? If you're serving from security, what excuses do you not have to serve someone? What group of people would you not serve? We're called to be like Jesus, to be the people in our community who are known for serving And the next part that he goes into is as much for us here as it was for them there. Jesus, verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his his robe again and he sat down. He goes, do you understand what I was doing? And I'm sure they're just like, no. He says, you call me teacher and Lord and you're right. You're right, I am. I am Lord, I am teacher. And since I, who is Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, then you ought to wash each other's feet. Church, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Since I as the Lord have done this, so now you go do it. Do as I have done to you. I was willing to humble myself to the place of a servant out of love and serve you. Go, come in, go and serve one another. Go and do as I have done. And it comes with a blessing. God will bless you for doing this. God will bless you when you do this. Go and do as I have done and you'll be blessed. The only way we're going to grow into a church that embodies this is if we are a church that serves from security, from identity, knowing whose we are, knowing who we are in Christ, knowing what our purpose is to love God, love people, and knowing that this is temporary and we will have heaven someday. The same things that Jesus was armed with. 
See, when you know who you are because of what Jesus has done for you, when, when you know why you're on this planet, when you know your purpose, to, to why he's called you to love God and love people in whatever profession or place he's put you, when you know you have a destiny that leads you to heaven and this is temporary, then you can serve in a way others simply cannot because they're sitting around tables in their life arguing who's the greatest and their insecurity will not allow them to pick up a towel. And not only that, when you serve some from security and from your identity in Christ, you can serve even those who would call you an enemy. Listen, can I just tell you something? Judas had different politics than Jesus. He, he thought Jesus should be king of Israel now. He had different politics than Jesus. And if Jesus can serve Judas, who believed different politically, then you can serve a Republican or you can serve a Democrat. Do I need to say it one more time? If Jesus can serve Judas, who believed different politically, then so can we. If Jesus can serve Judas, who was living a very sinful lifestyle, then you can serve someone who's living a sinful lifestyle that you disapprove of. And I know probably in each of our lives, we might have some biases of certain groups of people and certain sins. If Jesus can serve Judas, we can serve anyone. If Jesus can serve Judas, you can serve people who don't look like you, vote like you, sin like you, or live like you. Because Jesus washed the feet of his betrayer and looked into his eyes. Because he served from security. He served from identity. And we're called to do the same. We're called to be like Jesus in our lives and serve like this and serve those who maybe we don't want to. From this sermon, I want you to consider when and how and where you can begin to put this into, pra into practice. Because service isn't just something that we want to do in the church. I, again, I say this a lot. We are the church. When I'm at the dump, the orchard is there. And the orchard was there serving on that day. When you're at work, when you're at play, wherever you are, you are the church. And we are here to love God and love people. And I don't know if we can love people without serving them. So that's who we are. So where can we serve? There are places here in this church you can serve. We have kids, we have youth, we have production. There's a number of ways. And I want to tell you just a short story about one person. His name is Dr. Steve Ayers. Dr. Steve Ayers is an ER doctor in Aspen. And his job, I was talking about one day, just to be sitting there in an ER and never knowing what's coming through the door. He has no clue if something's broken up here or down here, like what it could be. And his job is to handle it with calm, collectedness, Dr. Steve Ayers went to more schooling than I can fathom. Dr. Steve Ayers is important in our community. He's esteemed in our community. And on Saturdays, when I show up here to work on my sermon, I'm not alone. Because Dr. Steve Ayers is here with me too. I got a picture of him right here. Dr. Steve Ayers serves from security. He shows up on Saturdays and he sprays weeds and mows the lawn so that it looks good for people who drive by and for us when we show up on Sundays. He spends hours here. He's done this for years. He's probably more uncomfortable right now with me talking about this than he is saying yes to serving. For some, there's places and opportunities for you to serve silently, 
on stage, backstage, wherever it would be. But also outside of here, there are opportunities daily for us to step outside of our comfort zone and our convenience and love people by serving them. Serving is loving God, loving people. We have it on our t-shirts. We have it outside, but we can't just wear the t-shirt if we're unwilling to pick up a towel. Loving people is serving people. And I, as your pastor, want to make this, this, make this, I want this to be something that we as a people, we step into. A church who loves our communities by serving them. And I've mentioned this ministry before, but I'm going to mention it again because it's getting closer. Uh, Nick and Katie Huff had this ministry idea of doing a service project once a month for the orchard to get involved in. It's called Orchard Serves. It's an easy way for us as a church to step outside of our lives, pick up a towel, and do as Jesus would do in different ways in the community. And the the October project is they're going to be doing yard work um, for people who can't do it themselves or haven't been able to. And so here's what we need. We need a few things as a church from you. We need people who are willing to go and be a part of this, who are willing to go sign up right outside here or email us and sign up and be a part of the Orchard Serves Saturday to go to someone's house who's vulnerable or elderly or unable to, uh, to keep up with their lawn or move some rocks or move some logs or whatever it would be to serve them. We need people who would be willing. Maybe you're, you have a specific, like, hand, you're, you're handy in a way that, that, that I just am not. And you have a specific skill that you want to talk to the team about. Hey, I can, I can do this. Would that help? And we need other people, others of us who maybe can't be there on Saturday to serve, but you say, I know people who need help. I drive by this person in my neighborhood and it's a wreck and I don't think they can help. I don't think they can keep it up. What if we just solve that for them? I know someone over here who's having a hard time physically, someone who's vulnerable, someone who's, whatever it would be, what we need from you are people who are willing to be part of Orchard Serves, but also people that connect us with those who we can go out and love. So what would, what would you know, who do you know that needs some help at their house? Who do you drive by that you think could need some help? As a church, I want us to embrace this new ministry. It's going to look different every month, but I have a a private hope. I have a private hope that Orchard Serves is one of our most successful ministries in our entire church. That we step into this and that we just go out and love people once a month in these creative ways. No strings attached, no money, no preaching, just loving, serving. The orchard, grabbing a towel, getting up and going out and serving. That's my hope. Because here's what happens. When we serve people, some people are going to be amazed that we're doing this, but some people are going to be intrigued. Like, why are we doing this? Why are they doing this? And so today, when you leave here, there's a, there's a table out there. You can feel free to sign up, get more information, get the details, grab a towel. Jesus said this, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done. It sounds like, it sounds like we should go do that. It's a command. Do as I have done. God will bless you for doing this. This is so practical, so practical. Bottom line, we as the church, wherever we go, we should be on mission of loving people. It might take you out of your comfort zone. You might have to lift some logs. Who knows what you might have to do. But at the end of the day, we're, we're here to love God and love people. There's gonna be, I believe this week, there will be opportunities for you. To, to step out of your comfort zone and convenience and, and to see what God would have you do in your life to pick up a towel, an opportunity no matter where it could be. So, so, so where can you serve? 
can we, can we be so secure in our love, the love that Jesus has given us? So secure in our place in heaven and in his heart that we don't care about our reputation, that we can go do the things that no one else would do? Serve from security, Orchard. Let's step into this. Let's be the church who doesn't just wear the t-shirt and wave the banner, love God, love people. We go out and we show it and we do it because we are God's church. As we go into communion today and as you hold the elements, I want to remind you that that is the ultimate act of service. That Jesus would give up his life. He would shed his blood for us. And so as you sit there and as you thank him for his sacrifice and how he served you, think of some ways and go, maybe just have, I always like to say this, have your yes ready. He might, the opportunity might be on Tuesday, but tell him yes now. When that happens, I have my yes ready. And pray for us. Jesus, I, pr- I just thank you that you modeled revolutionary service. Thank you for who you are and what you modeled for us. And I pray that we as the orchard would, would be Christ followers, Jesus followers, who follow you into service, who pick up a towel and love our neighbors and love our communities and love our coworkers and family and, and region in such a way that they feel your love. In Jesus' name, amen.